The Guardian. Ever since the arrival of COVID-19 in early 2020, there have been hopes that a vaccine might be developed to help manage or even end the pandemic. As we head towards the end of the year, hundreds of potential vaccines are in various stages of development. A few are approaching the final stages of clinical trials before seeking the crucial regulatory approval for their use on the general population. But when that happens, it's not just the vaccine itself that will need to be scrutinised. Which is something that people don't always appreciate. It's not simply just the vaccine itself as an entity that's approved, it's also the process by which it is made. I'm Madeline Finlay, and today on Science Weekly, how do you make a vaccine at the speed required to fight a global pandemic caused by a completely novel virus? Dr Stephen Morris works at the Future Vaccines Manufacturing Hub. Stephen, can you hear me okay? Yes, fine, thank you very much. So Stephen, just before we start, tell me what is the Future Vaccines Manufacturing Research Hub? So, so the, you're probably aware that one of the COVID vaccines has been developed based on the technology which has been produced in Oxford and taken it through to clinical trial stage. And now that's been taken over for commercial development by um, AstraZeneca. Um, so there are actually two uh, hubs, one of which is, the, is uh, centred on Imperial College. And then there's the other one which I work in, which is a joint equal partnership between biochemical engineering and the Jenner Institute at Oxford. So the Jenner Institute are obviously one of the world leading centres in vaccine development. And we are still very much involved in potential production processes and final formulation that will then go into actually what goes into people. So, Stephen, I just wondered if you could give us a brief list of the major stepping stones in a vaccine's journey from approval right through to when it's administered. A lot of the stepping stones actually come before approval normally, but once it's approved, it it should not be that difficult. (laughs) Um, When you've got approval, you, as part of your approval, you will have an approved methodology, which can complicate things because if you then want to make any process changes, which may be advantageous in terms of actual making the the product, in terms of making more or making it more cheaply or easily, you then have to go back and seek further regulatory approval for those changes to convince the regulators that that you haven't changed your product in any way. but once you've got that regulator approval, then you have the challenges of, of simply scaling up to your required manufacture. So it may involve the capital expenditure and the physical effort of actually building resources to produce the material, to scale it up. And then, of course, you've got the technology and, and the transfers to actually get it out to the people that need it. Let's get into the manufacturing. When we're thinking of traditional vaccines, what are the constituent parts that go into a normal vaccine? Vaccines are an incredibly varied range of products. 
So the very first vaccines were essentially just organisms which had been killed. So you're essentially just using the, the pathogenic organism and growing it. Pathogenic organisms are those which are capable of causing disease in their host, such as strains of bacteria, viruses and parasites such as cryptosporidium. And then at the end of your manufacturing process or during your manufacturing process, you're killing it so it's no longer obviously infectious, no longer dangerous, but it's still able to, when it's injected to be recognised by the immune system. So there are plenty of vaccines still around based on those sort of technologies and there are COVID-19 vaccines being based on those sort of technologies which are looking quite effective in, in clinical trials. And in some ways that's the most well understood and the simplest form of, of producing a vaccine. Other technologies which have come through and are more based on recombinant biology, whereby you take a small portion of your virus or your bacteria, whatever it is that's pathogenic, but just a small portion of that to produce, use a biological system to produce just that small portion and use that as your immunogen. From a manufacturing point of view, that has a big advantage in that it, because you're not actually making the pathogenic organism or virus, it's much safer to operate. So your product is not dangerous. So your operating conditions are much simpler. You don't have to operate under such stringent biosafety containment facilities. And obviously, if you're manufacturing that in very large volumes, that does become an issue. But those have a slight issue in that they tend to generate a less good immune response compared to, say, a killed whole bacteria or the whole virus, which then means that you have to add into your VAC formulation things which will possibly include what we call adjuvants, which are things which will stimulate the immune system. And then some of the more very new processes which are based on the use of viral vector delivery systems or just nucleic acid-based processes which are now coming through, and there's a lot of those coming through now as in response to covid again, are very different in terms of what's actually in them. The challenge there is that uh, there are no licensed vaccines based on those technologies, so we don't actually know that they work outside of laboratory studies. But if those come through, those will simplify manufacturing process very significantly in the future. So it really does depend very much on the nature of the particular vaccine. We'll come back to some of the vaccines that are coming through during COVID-19 development. But in this vaccine, we've spoken about the pathogenic organism that's in the vaccine that allows us to mount an immune response. But it's there other ingredients that go into a vaccine that allow it to be delivered or transported or anything like that? Yes, yes, indeed. So, so the main components are indeed your immunogen, so the thing that you're trying to generate an immune response to, then you may have the need for what we call an adjuvant, which is a, a chemical formulation which stimulates your immune system. And then you, you will need stabilizers, so things which give you the shelf life for your product to, get to, to maintain its stability, to govern what the sort of storage conditions may be. Does it have to be kept uh, frozen or cold or can it survive room temperature or elevated temperatures for significant periods of time to make it easier to transport it to where it needs to be for, to be immunised. So we've got all these different elements that go into a vaccine. 
how does the process of physically making them at scale work? How are they combined and um, are they combined in the same location? No, often not. Each one will have its own manufacturing process. So you have the manufacture of each component and then formulation, which is mixing those components. Then a final, what is referred to as a full finish process, which is when the actual final formulated and stabilised vaccine is put into the vials or whatever sort of container it may be, which will then be shipped out and is what you see when it's administered into you as a vaccination. Usually that may be some sort of little small vial with a liquid in that we see when we go to the clinic. And for the COVID-19 vaccine, do you think it will be manufactured centrally or from a number of different places? We simply don't have the time to start building from scratch bespoke manufacturing plants to, to make this thing. So we, it, is, it is almost certainly going to be manufactured at a number of, of sites that have been repurposed in order to, to start manufacture quickly. And that's already underway to, to allow this to happen. Yes, because I was going to ask here in the UK, could it be that we have a vaccine but don't have the capacity to manufacture it at the scale that we need? We are expanding capacity. So we have, um, you know, the AstraZeneca and, and, and so forth are, are increasing their capacity. And we do have a number of, in, of, of state-sponsored initiatives, so something called the Vaccine Manufacturing Innovation Centre, which will have the capacity to produce millions of doses of vaccine, but it's designed to allow us who are developing manufacturing methodologies to test out manufacturing methodologies, and then it would be be envisaged that exactly in this sort of pandemic situation, it would be provide the the capacity to produce actual manufactured product at large scale. Um, That at the moment is not up and running. Um, It was funded and it was originally planned to open in 2022, but that's now scheduled to come online early summer next year. So that will significantly increase our ability to manufacture whatever vaccine that has come through by then. Unfortunately, COVID in a way got got in a, a 12 months too soon, or else that would have been in place already. So a big part of the development of COVID-19 vaccinations is the ability to do it quickly. But what takes the most time when you're making a vaccine at mass scale? Well, most vaccines will involve growing the, the, the actual organism or the virus itself in order to then inactivate it and use it, or using a cellular culture system to produce a vaccine which is based on just a, a, a subunit vaccine, as we talk, call them. Then uh, probably about half to two-thirds of the time is the actual growth of the cells. So your usual rate-limiting factors are where biology is in charge. Once you've got your product out of the cells, then we can use the manufacturing technologies and processes which we can optimise for speed to try and make them much faster. Once, fingers crossed, a vaccine is made, how is it transported and when is it divided up into these individual vaccinations that can be administered to someone? 
In order to maintain stability, what we tend to try and do is, if possible, for the transport is to produce something what we call lyophilization or freeze drying. So um, maybe in a form something very much like instant coffee. <laughs> it's basically a very similar process to making instant coffee in a way. That's the easiest way to transport the products, probably. If that's not possible with a particular vaccine that, that's developed, then you may have to transport it as a liquid, maybe in a frozen state. And then finally, you end up at your fill finish unit, where you then have vast machines which are simply mixing the f- components in the in the right proportions to give you your, your final formulation and filling the vials or the tablets or capsules or w- whatever you end up actually using. Why is it that some vaccines are thermostable um, and others that have to be kept below a certain temperature? Most of them are based on proteins. And the stability of the of different proteins varies considerably. Even you know, just in nature, they vary considerably in the stability with um, to 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 temperature. And we're trying to overcome th- th- those variances by the formulation and the stabilizers that we're using. But that it, it is very much down to the fact that va- that when we say vaccines, we are talking of a vast number of different types of things which are very chemically different and structurally different. As we've talked about, there are many different vaccines being developed all around the world. I assume a big part of this will be a need for collaboration. Yes, definitely. The whole thing is very much dependent on collaborations between the academic side, the industry side, and then industry collaborating with industry, which is very important in in terms of uh, the sheer speed and scale that we we need in this sort of situation. Using the, the Vax Hub as an example, the Oxford Jenner-based vaccine is now being developed for manufacture by a commercial company, AstraZeneca. Um, but they're actually then working very closely in order to be able to optimise manufacturing capacity as quickly as possible, outsourcing some of that manufacturing to other industrial manufacturers, which will allow us to bring up the scale of capacity much faster. And your work at the Future Vaccines Manufacturing Research Hub, does it give you any optimism for the prospect of having an effective vaccine for COVID-19 in maybe 2021? Um, yes, I think so. Uh, <laughs> with you know so many being developed and so many in trials already, and the capacity is being scaled up to be able to start to manufacture these things at scale as, they, as the trial data comes through. So, yeah, yeah, I'm optimistic that we will have a vaccine. In, in Quite likely, I think we may have more than one vaccine. It's possible that the first vaccines that come through will be then supplemented or surpassed by a, a later vaccine that comes along. But I don't think that really matters at the moment. I think if we have something that, that works within the next 12 months and we will be in a position to be able to manufacture them at relatively large scales. Well, thank you very much, Stephen. That was fascinating and it's always reassuring to hear how hard people are working on these challenges. (laughs) Thank you. I hope it was useful. (laughs) That's all for today. Special thanks to Stephen Morris for speaking to us for this episode. We'll be back again soon for another episode of Science Weekly. Until then... 
Look after yourselves. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.